When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Forward Progress on the Hammer Betting Network. On this Tuesday, October 3rd, we've got an action-packed show. We'll discuss the Monday night football game last night, including how bad this Giants team might be, some film analysis on two specific games from last week, and we'll preview the Thursday night football game. Just a reminder, Forward Progress, Monday to Friday, every 2 o'clock, live stream, you should subscribe, like, hit the notifications bell so you don't miss any of this. Of course, none of this would be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book, Bet Smart, Bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly, not available in the U.S. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sofidis, and I'm excited to get this show on the road. I'm joined on Tuesdays, of course, by Sharp Clark, NFL originator, betting analyst at 444.com. Clark, I see you've got the hat on. That means last week was a good week for you. Yep, yep. I only get the hat if I'm a winner. So uh, last night was disappointing, but overall the weekend was good. All right, we have different uh, uh, different perspectives on how last night went, I guess. Well, let's dive into it, the Monday Night Football Recap. Uh, the Seahawks blow out the New York Giants. And uh, let's start off with the Brian Dayball chewing out Jones and then throwing a tablet because it got a lot of social media traction. A lot of a lot was made about this. And, you know, there was criticism about Dayball and his temperament. I didn't see it as a big issue. I, I wonder how you uh, thought he handled it. I actually haven't seen the clip, so I can't really comment on that. Uh, you know, I, I think we always see clips of, things that happen on the field and we don't see the whole picture. I, I tend not to, you know, not, not to judge those kinds of things too harshly, but. All right. Let's talk about the giants O-line uh, and their struggles. And I would like to judge them harshly. If you will, Seattle hasn't had a great pass rush up until this game. And, you know, a trip to New York will solve all woes. Um, they got 11 sacks on the giants. Uh, my question to you is, can the giants contend if they don't fix this O-line in a major way? Like, even Andrew Thomas coming back isn't going to help, right? No, I don't think they can contend. Uh, I, I also don't think they're really going to contend even if they do get their O-line back. <clears throat> you know, last year they were very, very fortunate to win so many of their games that they were kind of a fraudulent team from the get-go. Um, and one of the biggest issues with last year's schedule was they played so many soft defenses. And against those soft defenses, they just kind of dinked and dunked down the field. And my handicap going into this year was, you know, look at the defenses they're going to face this year. Seattle wasn't even one of those defenses that I was scared of, and they put up three points. So this is just uh, basically a throwaway year for the Giants at this point. I'm, I'm out on them completely. I mean, I, I began out on them. I'm even more out on them now. Well, let's talk about it, like, because Daniel Jones seems to be regressing and turning back into the pumpkin. Um, last year, Dable uh, stripped away some of the playbook. And he allowed Daniel Jones to just run the offense he was comfortable with. A lot of short passes, bootlegs, getting him off structure, some double option stuff with uh, Saquon. 
And then, you know, they started off six and one last year. Since then, they are five, 10 and one. And, and kind of the script is out. My question is, why have they regressed? Is it just as simple as defenses now have on tape what Daniel Jones wants to do and does well? And, and basically, they force him to not be able to do all that stuff? Or is it something else with him? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I mean, Daniel Jones does not have good vision. And that, I mean, Devon Witherspoon was right. He he locks onto a read and then he makes it obvious what he's going to do. What the Giants did last year was have these really easy to read routes, you know, big bunch sets where there's only two or three people running routes and they're all running them in the same area. So Daniel Jones can just kind of focus on that area. If it's there, throw it. If it's not, you know, try and run. Uh, and that's just an easy offense to defend. And, and when defenses have that counterpunch, Daniel Jones doesn't have the the answer. This offense doesn't have the answer. They don't have, you know, downfield weapons. They don't have Saquon Barkley right now. Even if they did, I'm not sure. He's not a field stretcher. Like, they need to find a way to stretch the field and yep. push the defense deep, and they're not doing that. Um, I don't know what the answer is because they don't have the weapons to be able to do that, and Daniel Jones, frankly, is not a difference maker at quarterback. All right, there's this uh, great dynamic of, like, end of October, early November. All the bad teams, we start asking the, the T word, right? Are they tanking? Uh, there happens to be a really good quarterback class coming in, including uh, what seemingly is the next great one in Caleb Williams. Uh, the Giants' next two games are Miami and Buffalo, and they're probably staring down the barrel of one and five. There's no coming back from that. Are the Giants bad enough, though, to end up with one of those three, four, top three, four picks and, and and turn their franchise around and get off this Daniel Jones contract? Or or unfortunately, are they too good to not be that bad? You know, against the schedule that they have, I think they are bad enough to, to get down there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't think teams tank. I don't think it's an active thing that they do. Like we've seen it every year, even in the last week, you know, <laughs> the, what was it? The the Texans last year, like miracle touchdown to win the game. It happens every year. So I don't yeah. really think they're going to tank. But as far as if I'm a Giants fan, am I rooting for them to get a bad pick? Like they paid Daniel Jones. I think it was two years guaranteed maybe. So yeah. that, you know, they're kind of stuck for another year. But if they can get one of those top quarterbacks, it does look like a pretty good draft. Um, I think that would be a win for the Giants if they can get a top five pick. All right. I've got a, a, a theory here and I want to I want to get your feel for it. The tush push by the Eagles. Everybody wants to get rid of it. They say, oh, you know, player safety and it it's cheap and it's automatic. And yet, you know, the Patriots, Chargers and Giants all tried it this week and failed in high leverage spots. Why are, is it is it just about the quarterback or do you have to have a really great center like Jason Kelsey to also uh, to also pull this off? Yeah, I, I mean, it's either or. Any any quarterback behind the Eagles' offensive line, I think, would be successful most of the time. Maybe not as much as Jalen Hurts. Um, it, it's the techniques. Like, they just take out the legs of all the defenders. And you you just cannot get any leverage when you when your legs are not on the ground, right? Where are you getting the leverage from? Yeah. So the, the way the Eagles' offensive line works, it, you know, a quarterback like Hurts is a perfect fit because of how strong he is and how strong his legs are. Uh, but I do think that if if other teams had the Eagles offensive line and that, uh, you know, that training, whatever methodology they're using, then I think it'd be a lot easier for these other quarterbacks. All right. All right. Uh, Seahawks, they were 0-1 when we did our uh, first show together. And, you know, there was concerns. But, you know, I think both of us identified that the Rams were better than what people thought. They then go into Detroit and they win. They uh, play Carolina at home and cover the number. They go to New York and they win and cover the number. They head into their bye three and one. How good are the Seahawks? We obviously know 
that, you know, there's the big three in the NFC, the Eagles, Dallas, and 49ers. Are Detroit and Seattle that far off behind those guys? Detroit and Seattle are not. I think Detroit's way better than Seattle, personally. Um, I was not impressed at all last night. I don't I don't really understand the like Seahawks love coming out of last night. I mean, let's look at their offense, right? They scored 24 points. Seven of those was a Drew Lock drive. Has nothing to do with Geno Smith. Uh, seven of those was on a five-yard field or, I don't know, six-yard field, whatever it was. And seven was on a pick six. They did nothing with Geno Smith on offense. They averaged <clears throat> 15 yards per drive on eight offensive drives against the Giants defense. Pretty terrible offensive performance by the Seahawks. Their defense played really, really well. But am I going to believe three weeks of a defense being mediocre at best or one game against a Giants offensive line that's lost their center pretty early on in addition to their left tackle? It wasn't good to begin with, lost a tight end against a quarterback that has deer in his headlights every time he drops back. You know, maybe Seattle's good. I'm just I'm not I'm not putting them anywhere near lines right now. All right. I usually like to watch football from a team level perspective. I think, I think you do as well. And uh, let me turn that off. Um, I, uh, noticed one player who kind of flashed Devin Witherspoon. The guy went fifth overall incredible corner. The first thing I noticed was his willingness to tackle. It's like the anti Deion Sanders. I just want to cover this guy wants to hit you. He's got like a little bit of Jalen Ramsey. In yeah, him. I was going to say Jalen Ramsey. Right? Yeah. Cause he wants to uh, contribute in, in the run defense, but he also, they blitzed him twice. He got there two sacks. He has the pick six. The kid looks like an absolute stud. Just wanted to shout him out. Um, he's got to be the early front runner for defensive player of the year, right? Yeah, defensive rookie. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the Seahawks hitting on secondary draft picks again is just its wild. I mean, not that he was like a, you know, he was obviously a really good prospect that a lot of people liked, but just, yeah, playing out of his mind right now. All right. The, the, the last night's game was uh, short on offense, if that's your style of football. But we're going to do some film review with a game uh, you're going to start and lead us off here that had a ton of offense, Commanders and Eagles. Yeah, so the Eagles, I, I don't know if it was on this show, but I've been talking about how the Eagles have not looked great on offense. Uh, they, they lost Shane Steichen, and I've been concerned with their play calling. They just haven't been in sync. Things haven't been easy. But over the last few weeks, they've been building. Every week has looked a little bit better. And I thought this week their offense finally looked like their offense from last year, which is, you know, they're 4-0. And so they managed to escape sort of a dysfunctional opening, you know, few games on offense with some wins, which is great for them. Uh, but what I was seeing was the, the types of things that were working last year. That is, you've got A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. You send them on go routes and you throw the deep ball. It, it doesn't. I mean, obviously you want to complete it, but it doesn't matter if it's complete or not. What you're doing is you're instilling in those defenders the opposite of what the Giants are doing. You're saying, this is a play we're going to run, so you've got to defend it. Mm. And then they have A.J. Brown running a dead sprint and then stopping eight yards downfield and turning around. And the defender is, you know, way downfield. Jalen Hurts, all he has to do is sit behind his really good offensive line and throw an eight-yard pass to A.J. Brown. Second and two. The Eagles are going to convert from second and two every time right i mean they can just tush push it twice and they're you know they got a new first down and so this was the offense that was working last year and they're doing it now so i'm starting to see the play caller get get more comfortable you know and, and look a lot more like the shane steichen offense that we saw last year um so that was kind of my takeaway from the even though they didn't cover the spread and almost lost the game uh, i was i came away impressed with the eagles offense yeah. um and you know side shout out washington's offense also looked really good um, you know, Sam Howell avoided those kind of backbreaking mistakes that he made against Buffalo <clears throat> and it made all the difference for them. Yeah. He, he, he uh, 
he he still got sacked three times when they were his fault on third and long. Like it feels like third and long is like a 50-50 chance it's going to end in a sack. But he was better um, in a lot of spots. I thought they they drew up a lot of more quick hitter offense. You said an interesting tweet uh, last week uh, about if you had a pre uh, you know if you had an opinion on how in a negative you know the first three weeks kind of have confirmed your opinion. And if you had a, a positive on how heading into the season, the first three games have uh, confirmed your opinion, right? It's that dynamic of we see what we want because Hal gives you everything. He gives you really good and he gives you really bad. Bad. He, he like teeters the line. Two things I do like. I like his poise. He doesn't feel like um, a, a rookie or, or, you know, oftentimes I look at Bryce Young lost out there and, you know, whatever you want to say about his physical limitations, I don't think mentally he's not there in the moment. And how like it, it doesn't phase him. He he I remember the Eagles had scored four straight scoring drives and, and Washington needed a, a, a touchdown to stop the bleeding like like blood. And he comes out, uses his feet, scrambles around, creates throwing lanes, ties up the game. And then, you know, the last drive with a minute and 43 left, just incredible stuff because he ran out of his timeout early when he got sacked and put himself in second and 17. And he, he made all the plays. My question is Ron Rivera not going for two. And his excuse and his justification was the offense was tired. But in theory, then the defense should also be just as tired, correct? Yeah, I, I don't really understand that reasoning. Uh, it was a terrible decision not to go for it. Like, I didn't have a money line bet on, on the commanders. I, I bet the spread. But I always feel like, it, you know, if coaches could just ask a better who has the money line on their team, hey, what what do you want me to do here? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that, that better would tell them the right thing a hundred percent of the time. Cause yes. like they're and, and it's like these coaches can't figure it out. That was clearly a situation, especially with a Thursday night game coming up and a short week, like why play more football, you know, against a team that's better than you. It just, it made no sense. Um, one thing that concerns me about Sam Howell is he doesn't avoid hits, right? Obviously he takes a ton of sacks. That's not great for a, a guy with his frame, but when he runs, like he's, he'll scramble and get the first down and he doesn't slide. He just, he stays up and then he just takes a massive hit. And a guy his size can't afford to take those hits. It, it almost feels inevitable, like a matter of time before he gets dinged up if he keeps playing that way. And there seems to be no evidence that he's going to change. We'll see. Um, but that's one thing that concerns me about how long term. <laughs> you know, um, do you remember when the Lions played the Rams in the first year after the uh, trade for Stafford? And the Rams were like 17 point favorites. The Lions hadn't figured out how to win yet at that point. And Dan Campbell, like fourth down, he was faking punts. He was right. When you're the worst team, you need to increase the variance of the situation. Whereas like, if you're the favorite, you know, you play long enough, you'll beat a team. If the game goes long enough, cause you're better. And that's why I don't understand Washington. You're a, an eight point underdog or nine point underdog. I, I know they're not thinking in terms of spread, but you understand there's a disparity disparity in talent. Eagles are at home. You need to increase the variance to put it all on one play and, and give your shot the give yourself the best shot to win that game. Whereas maybe the better team might opt for overtime because they believe that if the game plays out long enough, they're gonna win. Let's talk Steelers and Texans. And I allowed you to peacock a little bit about Matthew Stafford. Allow me um, to have a few moments uh, with the Texans and CJ Stroud. I am, uh, I've been appointed the CEO of the Stroud boys. Uh, Clark, it's my new position. I was high on Houston. Uh, one of the reasons I told you was the, this fantastic O-line that is in shambles right now. And yet 
Um, Houston's actually held up. I want to talk about Bobby Slowick for a second. He comes from San Francisco. Um, they have no left tackle in this game, right? Laramie Tunsil's out. Josh Jones, his replacement's out. They've got four other guys on the IR, and they're 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 in trouble, right? That's the handicap if you bet the Steelers. The Steelers are going to overwhelm them. So what does Houston do on the first drive? You know, you script your first 15 plays. Outside runs, jet sweeps, Stroud scrambles, screens, uh, and then finally the first non uh, first pass to a non-running back was the last pass of the drive, a two-yard throw into the end zone for Nico Collins. The Texans literally manufactured that entire touchdown drive. So well, well done job to Bobby Slowick. They also used a lot of quick passes to make up for the O-line being banged up. Um, even in empty, like they were getting the ball out in, in less than two seconds, hitting guys on quick, uh, quickly in the seams. CJ Stroud's internal clock is awesome. Like even on plays I'm watching where the O-linemen are getting completely folded, the ball's out. He realizes he's not going to wait and hang and try to make something happen. Uh, and Bobby Slowick right now is drawing up some good routes. Like Houston is, you know, they're fourth in, in, in the league in yak. Like, and you look at the list, it's like 49ers and, and, uh, dolphins and Houston and Houston. I'm like, oh, it's the San Francisco offense. That's what Bobby Slowick has brought in. And because of it, they've negated some of the, um, some of the downside of a bad O-line. We, we often talk about how, you know, McDaniels maximizing despite our limitations with the dolphins O-line or how, you know, the 49ers on paper, this is the worst O-line, but their scheme is good enough to avoid uh, the this big negative uh, impact of it, and that's a lot of what Houston's do is doing is that. So I've realized that. Now it's not all positive though. I, I think they're leaving a lot of meat on the bone. They score that opening drive touchdown, and then they score three straight field goals. Like they did not, you know, put it into the end zone. So they only had a 16 point lead at half, which is not. It doesn't feel insurmountable. Um, they also have this um, this weird dynamic of. Uh, CJ Stroud is like 12th in air yards and you think, oh, he's, he's slinging it. But the problem is they're skewed by like a few big plays. They, they lead the NFL with 12 pass plays over 25 yards. Like they're, they, they hit a lot of big plays outside of it. A lot of what they do is like underneath stuff, uh, yeah. sl slower stuff. Um, that that's like my overall, uh, thoughts on Houston. It's good, but it's not, it's not there yet. Right. There's still some upside and potential. As far as Steelers, like their offense is cooked. They had one play over 10 yards in, in the first half. There's no deep threat. They're, in fact, Pickett's first deep throw was intercepted by Steven Nelson. They they didn't get into the red zone until the third quarter. And then they 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 this was their play selection. They finally get into the red zone, Clark. And, and we've talked about they can't get into the red zone all year. And they go run, run, field goal, run, 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 field goal. It's like, what what the hell are you even doing? Um, so that was my takeaways. I, I came away very unimpressed by the Steelers offense and, and like it's bottom, bottom of the barrel bad right now. And, and as, as impressive as Houston is and they're scheming around, there's still, there's still some meat on the bone with this team. Yeah. I mean, Kenny, Kenny Pickett sucks against zone and Houston plays zone and, and also, uh, getting Jalen Petrie and, and Jimmy Ward back was huge for Houston. Um, so yeah, a totally unimpressive performance by the Steelers offense. I think they're another team that I think they lost the left tackle in that game too. So they're kind of on the way down. Um, with CJ Stroud, I, I think insight in the comments is right. He said that's because the Steelers game plan was to pressure Stroud so quick. It was almost like Bobby Slowick 
knew the defensive game plan. Like on even on like a play by play basis, it was like, okay, on this play, there was a blitz and it was like, well, the, the screen pass is just waiting ready for it. So it's like the offensive line lets the pressure in rather than, you know, having a good offensive line, you say, all right, we don't have a good offensive line. The Steelers have TJ Watt and a good defensive line. They're going to, they're going to get to Stroud. Let's just let them get to Stroud and just have him get the ball out within two seconds every play. Yeah. And it, it, it's almost like another way of thinking about offense is like, we, we, like you said, we see it in San Francisco. We see it in Miami. There's, there's having a good offensive line and dominating the trenches. This is kind of like the Eagles and the Lions style offense. There's having an elite quarterback who can, you know, even under pressure, create plays like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. And then there's this third way, which is like, okay, we don't need an offensive line. We don't need a quarterback. What we need is a scheme where we anticipate what the defense is going to do and just have the quarterback just be basically a processor where you just, you, you, you react to what the defense does in the first two seconds, get the ball out to the playmakers and have them make plays. That's what Miami's doing, San Francisco's doing, and now Houston is doing. They don't have the same talent level. So I think that the ceiling is very, very much limited. Um, Strouts is still making some mistakes. And so he got away with some throws that I think you know could have gone the other way maybe. Yes. Um, so we'll kind of see how that goes uh, without with a lack of you know outside talent. And the, you know, the offensive line needs to get healthy. But, but I think that they have the potential to be, I, I think we talked about this before the season, like, I didn't bet against or on or on the Texans preseason because if the offensive situation worked, I didn't know anything about the offense coordinator or the quarterback. If that worked, then they could be a decent team and it's working right now. So I think they're a decent team. I got to say too, they, they all cover well, like this is a pretty good pass defense and it's without Derek Stingley. And at times they were missing Jimmy Ward and Jalen Petrie, like both safeties. So there's there's a lot of upside with this team. I, I kind of like the mojo around what D'Amico Ryans is doing. I like all the comments. Like Stroud, er, everything embodies leader. When I hear him speak, he comes out and he's telling Houston fans, "Yeah, you deserve to feel good. You've been you've been you know in the dumps for too long." Like this guy, um, you know, I got a crush on him. I've had a crush on him since college. And I'm happy that he's doing so well to start off. Let's talk about the AFC South, Clark. This was the uh, joke. This was the worst division in the NFL. We we laughed about it. I think um, only one of the team had a um, preseason win total over, over eight. So they were all expected to have losing records. And yet every team is two and two. So let, let's let's look into the, let's look into the division and what's going on with it. Let's start off with Jacksonville. I want you to tell me what you like or what optimism you have about them. Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> That's about it right now. Um, Trevor Lawrence is a fantastic quarterback. I, I it, it always pains me when people are like, is he even good? I'm like, watch some film, man. The dude is a is a baller. Um, and when you have an elite quarterback, and, and Trevor Lawrence is an elite quarterback, you have a chance to win any game. You know, he he's the type of player that can you know, use pressure against the defense. Like there was this, that one play in London where, you know, they, they got the blitz home and he just threw a beautiful pass for the touchdown. Uh, but those, those plays have been too far, too few and far between. And, and they're leaving way too many points on the table, whether it's, you know, red zone failures or just, you know, not making big plays, not, not capitalizing on third and short. It, it's just been a, everything has kind of gone wrong for the Jags and they're two and two. They're still probably the best team in the division, but they have to face the toughest schedule in the division still from here on out, um, including the Bengals late in the season. So there's a chance that the Bengals could have figured some things out by then. Burrow could be healthy, things like that. So I don't love the, the Jags schedule, but they have the quarterback element and that's the number one most important thing in the NFL. 
I wrote for optimism. Their defense hasn't been as bad as I expected. Um, and you were right about like they they are very bad in high leverage like spots, fourth downs, and like they're sixth worst in red zone touchdown percentage. They only every time they get in the red zone, only 44% of the time do they get the ball in the end zone. And part of that's probably the O-line and their struggles to run. Um uh, as part of that aspect, let's talk about, uh, I see some comments like, the, you know what? Everybody wants to say already, why did the Panthers take Bryce Young over CJ Stroud probably and over Anthony Richardson? Like it's probably the earliest hot take of the year and it, it might end up being right. We'll talk about it when we get to Indian Houston, but let's go to Tennessee. Um, what do you like and dislike, uh, or what are you optimistic about and what are your concerns? Optimism is the defense. I, I really, really like this defense. And, and I think people, I, I, I really dislike when people talk about a team's run defense versus a team's pass defense, like they're these two different entities. Like when when the when the ball is snapped and the quarterback hands the ball off, the run defense runs out on the field and stops the run. And when the quarterback drops back to pass, the pass defense runs out there and stops the pass. Like defense is a holistic concept. They go out there. And, and typically when a team is better against the run than they are against the pass, like the Titans are, Part of it, sure, is is defensive talent up front, but part of it is just scheme and decision-making. The, the Titans' MO is we are going to make every yard difficult for you, yeah. and if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us over the top, and you're going to have to connect on those difficult throws. Uh, and they're getting the secondary back healthier than it's been. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, good quarterbacks can can you know really get going against them, sure, but against a team like the Bengals, we saw it. Like, they make every yard difficult and teams that don't have the ability to overcome difficult circumstances will get crushed by this defense. And the Titans have a lot of teams on their schedule that kind of fit that offensive mold where it's going to be tough. And, and so they'll be in every game uh, except for the ones where they play against an elite team, in which case they basically have no chance. <laughs> um, so that's what I like about the Titans. I'm concerned about their offense. It, it's just, it's too stagnant. It's too, it's too straightforward. I was watching this week's game with a buddy who he watches every game through the lens of his fantasy football players. And <laughs> you know, you know, the type, right? Yeah. Hey, why, don't, why doesn't Derrick Henry run on every single play? You know, yeah, he's wide um, open. Uh, yeah. To this guy. And, and so, so they line up for, for, I think it was a fourth and one and Derrick Henry wasn't on the field. And he's like, I, I just don't understand why, why is Derrick Henry not on the field? It's fourth and one. And I say, when you don't trust your offensive line to be able to create a yard of room, it yeah. doesn't matter who you have at running back. You're not getting that yard. And yeah. they they know how bad their offensive line is. It's not good enough to get that one yard. That's that's going to be a problem for a team that is built that way uh, on their own offensive side when things get tough. You know, if Tennessee played Tennessee, it would be one of the ugliest games in the NFL. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you, you know what I wrote? Uh, I wrote... Um... I, I like how they respond when they have a bad game. And I think that's on Vrabel where they don't let, they don't, they don't compound bad games. Like they, they've been blown out twice or looked pretty bad. And then the next game, it was a response. And, and, and like Vrabel's one of those great motivational. All right, that game happened. Let's, let's get focused immediately. Uh, here's what I wrote about uh, concerns. Whenever they play a really good defense, they're in trouble. Like against a Brown, like they, there's there's no way their O line can hold up, and frankly, uh, like their pass game doesn't have the juice. DeAndre Hopkins, there's a reason why the, there was no bidding war for him, and it's becoming very very evident this year. Like it's right off a cliff. We saw the signs, just like Dalvin Cook. We we saw some signs, and it, it it's gone right off the cliff this year. So whenever they play a really uh, elite defense, I think they're in in some serious trouble. 
Let's go to Indianapolis. Um, what's the like? What's the optimism? What's the dislike? What's the concerns for you? You know, I thought the Colts were going to be a much longer term project with Anthony Richardson. And I've been very impressed with how they've looked. Anthony Richardson is is probably the most optimistic thing about this team. Um, I came in with low expectations for him, but all I heard off season was about his leadership, his you know poise, and that's why they instilled him as the starter on day one because they said he can handle it. He knows that if he makes mistakes, like he gets right back up, and and his mental game is has been on full display. Um, and what I loved about this week's game was uh, it was very very early in the game. I don't know if it's the first play, but it was first drive. Uh, he scrambled. And even short of the first down line, he slid when he was about to get hit. And the crowd goes nuts. <laughs> they start cheering for him. You know, and it was, this, it was an awesome moment, right? Because it, the exact opposite of what I said about Sam Howell, where there seems to be no, no contemplation by Sam Howell that like, hey, maybe I should be avoiding these hits. Like immediately, Anthony Richardson was like, I need to be smarter about my body and yeah. showed it. on. And, it, and that, that's the type of mental game that I think indicates that you got, we can extrapolate from that that he's going to continue to get better as a player. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I think pessimistically, they still lack a lot of weapons. They're still, you know, really weak in the secondary. Um, but they have the pieces to to be competitive in this division this season. This is not a long-term, you know, build. And, and once Jonathan Taylor comes back, if he comes back and if he's healthy, um, I think having the dual threat quarterback of, of Anthony Richardson can really open things up for Jonathan Taylor and he will end up looking more like rookie Jonathan Taylor than sophomore Jonathan Taylor, which would be a great thing. Yeah. I, I um, you, or, you could just or picture, second, third year, whatever. Yeah. You could just picture Houston and uh, Indianapolis sports talk radio right now. We've got our guy. It's the franchise. And then you could just picture Carolina sports radio. I would love to drive by, turn on the radio station, and probably hear a guy screaming for three hours on why they drafted the wrong quarterback and no optimism in that city. I, here's what I wrote. Uh, the Colts right now are dominating or are very successful in high leverage situations. Like they are the third best uh, team in the red zone offensively. 73% of their, their red zone trips end up in a touchdown. But I said, because we've, we've had this conversation. You don't believe that is it. You think there's more signal in that than, than noise. Because I say, make no mistake, this is an Anthony Richardson and O-line stat, their success in the red zone. And I think, Shane Steichen stat, too. Yes. Where I think they're getting lucky, though, is like they, they are living uh, defensively. Like they, they are not good against the pass. They give up a ton of yardage. Uh, they're like the ninth worst defense in success rate. But they've, they've picked the ball off five times. So they're living off uh, of high leverage uh, plays like turnovers. Uh, it, so they have this skew of, remember we talked to Jordan Love, low success rate, high EPA per play. Well, the Colts are that on defense. They're 11th best EPA per play defensively, ninth worst success rate. And somewhere we got to find the real number there. So I think right now, some sometimes their, their defense is living off some high leverage plays. Let's talk Houston. What do we like optimistic about? What do we dislike and concern and, and are concerned about? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this. Uh, the The offensive play calling and the way that it's meshing with C.J. Stroud's quick decision-making has been really impressive. Uh, it's a little bit similar to the Colts, right? I expected it to be a long-term uh, you know, growth process. They don't have the weapons on the outside. They have some questions on defense. Uh, but they're getting it done, and they're getting healthy, right? If they can get Laramie Tunsil back on the offensive line, they can get uh, – I mean, they already got some of the safeties back. I don't know how serious Stingley's injury is. I, maybe he's on IR, but uh, this is a team that – 
that I think is well coached on both sides of the ball. Like their their defense looked really really good this week, um, yeah. and so having those two veteran safeties back, well, veteran, um, I think really helped. But I think the concern is that you know what have they done in tight games? Right, <laughs> every game has been a blowout. Uh, in the two in the two games they lost, you know, a lot of what CJ Stroud did was in garbage time, or was not garbage time, but like you know, soft, soft zone defense is just being like, yeah, we'll let you take an eight yard pass because the clock's going to run. You're not going to come back on us. Um, And then in the other two games, it was like, well, they were kind of dominating. So, so what we haven't seen is like a game gets tight and, you know, the defense has figured out these, these, you know, quick throws that they've been setting up. And now CJ Stroud has to go and make a play to, you know, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, (laughs) you know, I, 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 I like Nico Collins. I think he's, busting out the seams right now he, he he's on a he's on a rocket and he's doing very well on my fantasy team but not to interrupt what were you what were you gonna yeah and, and maybe and the answer might be yes but but the thing about you know division winner or win total or make playoffs bets at this point is it, it's not enough to be in games you've got to win those tight games like you you have to do well in those in those games where the variance can swing either way um and i i'm not sure who the texans are in those types of games yet um, I think if you're optimistic about them and think they can win those high leverage moments, if you think CJ Stroud can be the guy to lead the game winning drive down three with two minutes left, then I think uh, this should be a team you should be optimistic on. All right. Um, I want to just say, if you're watching the stream and enjoying it, please hit the like button. We'd really do appreciate it. I love the comments going on in the chat. The chat is having their own show at the same time as us, and I love it. Uh, Jason, um, I want you to star Cottage's comment for later when we're talking about market movement because that was specifically an interesting line move in the Houston Atlanta game, and we'll get into that. Um, Here's what I wanted to say. Houston... Uh, right now, when I say left meat on the bone, I, I held this stat back because they are the second worst red zone offense in, in the league. Like 35% of the time, they end up having to not get, get the touchdown. And I wrote defensively, I, I still question their run defense and their pass rush. And despite playing the Steelers awful you know, run game, they're still bottom 10 in a lot of defensive run metrics. And usually the Steelers is a good way to, the, on a four-game sample size, to skew yourself positively, and it didn't happen. Let's talk about the division prices, right? Two and two, uh, everyone's got a shot. There's optimism around. And Jason, if you can pull up Pinnacle's prices on the AFC South. Um, Clark, when you see these prices, Jacksonville plus 145, Tennessee plus 255, Indy plus 325, and Houston plus 450. What kind of stands out to you? <laughs> this is like, no surprise, Pinnacle's odds are like right on. I, I don't have an in-season futures model, so I, I don't, you know, I don't have a strong opinion on any of the specific numbers, but I think that is the order of quality of teams in the division as of today. But Again, the schedule is much more difficult for the Jaguars than it is for the ones below, and, and the Titans for that matter. Um, like I know the Jaguars have to play Buffalo this week. Uh, I know the Titans have Miami on their schedule, whereas the Colts and Texans get the bottom of the barrel in that division, yeah. um, for example. I think it's going to come down to the division matchups, basically. And, and what we've seen so far is a little bit wild because what Jacksonville beat Indianapolis and in Indy, Houston beat Jacksonville and Jacksonville, and then uh, what? Uh, Tech, uh, Colts beat Texans in Houston. Yeah. So, so, so like, it's like a round robin between those three teams. And like what happens in the second leg of all of those is going to go a long way in determining the division. I, um, uh, I, what were you saying? I was going to say like, if I, if I were forced to play a bet, it would probably be, 
hey, like that Houston price is a little low considering how well they're playing. Um, they, it should be much more in line with the Colts, I think. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I remember when I talked to you about entry points and, and looking a little bit at the schedule and figuring out when is a good time to jump in. Here's what I wrote for the immediate schedule for all four teams. Indy's immediate schedule is home to the Titans, at Jags, home to the Browns, home to the Saints, at Panthers, at Patriots. Houston's immediate schedule is at Atlanta, home to the Saints, at the Panthers, home to the Bucks, at the Bengals, home to the Cardinals. Jacksonville's immediate schedule is versus the Bills in London, home to the Colts, at Saints, at Steelers, home to 49ers, home to the Titans. And Tennessee's immediate schedule is at Indy, home to the Ravens, home to the Falcons, at Steelers, at the Bucks, at the Jags. Based on that, I like the prices on Indy and Houston. That, that'd probably be the, the direction I'm leaning in. I also think that there's upside worth where they'll probably get better later in the season as the rookies get a little bit more experience. And frankly, they've dealt with the most health issues in the division, right? Uh, Houston hasn't been able to field an O-line. And, and and Indy, like they lost Richardson for a game and they haven't had Taylor. And, you know, their center, Ryan Kelly, and then Bernard Raymond gets concussed in Friday's practice. The Colts have also been banged up uh, injury rise. So those would be the two spots that I'd be looking to make a bet. I love the engagement in the chat. I wanted to pull up a, a comment when we look at the current market lines and value. Uh, Jason, can we pull up that Houston Atlanta comment? Uh, market loves Houston. Did the Atlanta line move too much? So the line, the look ahead was about three and a half. And obviously Houston beats Pittsburgh and uh Atlanta loses to the Jags in an isolated game on London. So it's like has extra eyeballs on it. People are fully aware of what happened. And then the line looked like it opened up two and a half, three. Then it got bet Houston immediately down to pick them minus one. But this morning, uh, people found their Atlanta love again and pushed this line back up to two, two and a half, depending what book you looked at. Clark, has the movement surprised you? And do you think there's going to be a landing point for this number. Are we getting to the three? Will we get back to a pick them or does this feel about right? I was a little surprised by the buyback on Atlanta. Um, I, like there's really nothing to feel good about with the Falcons right now. Um, I, I was expecting it to kind of go to pick and then kind of like hover around there and, and kind of have a little battle around pick for the rest of the week. But some pretty strong action on Atlanta this morning, like you said, although you know, moving from pick to one and a half to yeah. is, is not the biggest move, but um, I'm just surprised to see market resistance in this game. And, and, you know, there's, I really like this week's slate because I like games where there's a battle in the market. I, I hate, I hate, even when I'm on like the side of the movement, I hate when it's just one way movement. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Vikings covered last week, but it was like, everyone was betting the Vikings and there was like no buyback and it just felt so uncomfortable. Like I much prefer it when I can see the battle happening. So this is a game that I haven't really settled in on yet, but um, I, I will say I was surprised to see the Atlanta money come in. I think there's like a lot of different dynamics at play here. So uh, there's first there's, if you were optimistic on Atlanta before the season, maybe you're still holding on to a little bit of that. I think part of it is the coming back from London and playing immediately factor where, where people depress the line a little bit uh, in, in their numbers because of the unusual rest situation. I think there's the overreaction of Houston looks pretty good, man. Stroud, I got to fire and get ready. And then I think there's uh, some people that were higher on Houston preseason and, and it's just confirming what they thought of Houston at this point. So I think there's a lot of battle, you know, a lot of spots and push and pull. Both teams are two and two. It's it's one of the more fascinating moves of the week. Um, what about um, 
I want to talk to uh, the Jacksonville Buffalo game. I remember when I was creating my lines and I do, I, before I look at the other lines, I remember seeing the number and I'm like, oh, this can't be right. And then I look at the market and it's, it's right where market is. And I'm like, okay, maybe it is right. Um, are you surprised Buffalo is um, this uh, like, like under uh, under a touchdown under six, or do you think part of it is listen, Jacksonville is in London. They have no travel this week. They are comfortable in this situation, and they probably have a home home crowd edge, even even if it's smaller than than a, a typical home style edge. Yeah, I think there's lots of sort of trends analysis that favors the Jaguars here. I, I don't really put much stock in it, but I mean, travel travel is real. <laughs> I mean, you got a team that's staying in London. Like we've seen teams that stay away from home do better, do do well in the back to back because. You know, there's like team bonding. You're all hanging out together. You're in the hotel together, all that kind of stuff. You know, you don't have the home distractions or whatever. Um, and on top of that, like the Bills just played their early season Super Bowl, and now they have to travel to London to take on the you know Jags team. So, so I understand why there would be interest on the Jaguars here. Um, my numbers also suggest it should be higher, but but I understand why it's there. It's just it, it's you can't really compare it to a normal game. Like the Jaguars do have somewhat of a home field advantage here in, in, you know, even though there'll be a lot of Bills fans there, it's, you know, NFL fans in England are pretty split, but I just think the Jaguars are more comfortable in this situation than the Bills. All right. Let's uh, at, not just that the Bills came off like a pretty emotional yeah. beat down again. You know, you, you, you stamped out your point against the Dolphins, you know, it, there's yeah. a little, there, there could be a little bit of letdown in, in preparation in this game. Let's talk about, uh, I thought the Baltimore Pittsburgh move was fascinating. Um, I remember talking to Cleve yesterday on the show, but like the lines are like, I've never seen a line bigger than three and a half. It feels like in the AFC North in like five years, that's the number, right? Like the, uh, it's usually under a field goal. And if a team's far better, three and a half as far as it can go, because there's that reputation that everyone plays each other tight in this division. And, and yet the line got out to four, four and a half, five. Then we get the news that Pat Fryermuth's probably going to miss the game. And Dan Moore Jr. is going to miss the game for Pittsburgh. And we're probably going to get some positive injury regression for Baltimore this week. And yet there was a buy, there was a buy of Pittsburgh this morning and brought the line back down to three and a half. Are you surprised? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I mean, the Steelers offense without Deontay Johnson, without Pat Frymuth, without the left tackle, Dan Moore, um, you know, without Kenny Pickett potentially, although I don't know, Pickett, Trubisky, you know, six, one half dozen, the other, I think. Um, but I just, it just is like, the Steelers are not a good team. They're they're missing Cam Hayward. They're they're I don't know how they're two and two. Like I mean, I guess I know how they they got a bunch of defensive touchdowns against uh, Cleveland and then uh, played you know kind of a weird game against Las Vegas. But they're not very good. The Ravens are and and they're like you said they're they're hopefully getting healthier. Like it's not something I'm betting on because I you know I just have to see that injury report every week. Yeah. Uh, for the Ravens, but. If they can get a couple guys back each week and not sustain additional injuries, then I think the Ravens are in position to control the division. Um, and so, you know, the the, the offense is, is starting to click a little better. Um, they've had some ups and downs, I think, and a lot of that is injury related. But we're talking about a new offensive system for Lamar Jackson that he's learning and growing in as the weeks go on. And I, I think this is a spot where if the Ravens are healthier – uh, and they kind of like take a lead against the Steelers. It, it doesn't really seem like it doesn't really seem like a good spot for the Steelers to play comeback and and like you know yeah we can trade punch for punch like I don't know where that punch comes from. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be Kenny or uh, George Pickens down the sideline for a big play uh, and then no consistency outside of that. 
Uh, the Ravens have actually been pretty decent against the run. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't. I'm surprised. I'm surprised by the Steelers' money. Here's my question: Like, if the Browns' game doesn't happen, where they get like this, uh, you know, miracle of of, of events, because they're two and two, and like it's probably the least optimistic two and two team uh, that I can think of. They could be sitting at one and three. I think the Steelers have been the second best team in in three, maybe four games this year. All four of their games, and and it just feels like if the Steelers were one and three, there's there's no way that this number would be sitting at at what it is right now. Well, it's a follow on from last year, where like you know people are like, well, Mike Tomlin just he just you know knows how to win games, right? Every year he's going to at least be fifty fifty, and it's like you know, the, the way they won some of those games last year was absolutely ridiculous. And it's like, did Mike Tomlin do that? Like, is there some magical thing that he just makes these high variant situations go his way? Like, I don't, I don't think so. I think that kind of stuff runs out, but again, here we are at two and two with a very unimpressive Steelers team. Right. So, so I understand, I understand the historical reasons why people want to back the Steelers, especially as underdogs. Um, but that's just not how I bet. All right, Clark week one, they don't get into the red zone until the third quarter. Week two, they don't end up in the red zone at all. This week, they didn't get, last week, they didn't get into the red zone until the third quarter. This isn't sustainable, right? This is, this is, this is crazy. Their offense sucks. It's, it's, it might be one of the worst offenses in the league, whether you believe that talent wise, it's been one of the worst offenses in the league. Um, despite having like, you know, they've been fortunate as far as turnover, um, luck and they haven't generated too many offensive turnovers. So, this there's there's potentially an even worse bottom for this team if if those things go against them let's talk about cincinnati arizona clark um i told cleve if i told you that the cincinnati Bengals were minus three against the arizona cardinals in week five you would think that joe burrow is probably out and kyler murray's probably in like that there's that only world where we saw that line possible and yet here we are the the Bengals opened at four and a half and the line's down to three. And um, I have PTSD, and I and I don't know if I want to bet it. Um, and I'm probably waiting on the T. Higgins news. But are you surprised we're sitting at three? And do you think we're, we're going to close again over three again? I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, I think this could even come down under the three, personally. Wow. Uh, um, the Bengals have been terrible. Like, what? T- tell me one reason why, like, because they were good last year. Like this is a different team. It's ha- this happens every year. I mean, even last year, like we talked about this in the off season. Like I obviously thought that a lot of last year was, was not as impressive as most people did. I think there were some cracks showing even before the season. And so when something happens like a calf injury for Joe Burrow, that really takes away the, the like the most dangerous parts of their offense. It really shows you like how bad the rest of it is. And that's what we're seeing. Um, now, you know, there's a chance that the Cardinals defense is not good enough to get to Burrow. And if Burrow has two and a half, three seconds on each play, then I think his lack of mobility, you know, won't cost them as much as it did against the Titans, obviously. Um, but I just don't think we've seen anything from this Bengals team to suggest they should be big road favorites over a Cardinals team that's playing pretty well. All right. Let's talk about Philly Rams. I want to give you a chance to, you know, uh, pound your chest a little because uh, you were right on Stafford. Um, that line was five and a half at some points. And there are some questions about, you know, if the left tackle Alaric Jackson will be back and Stafford's hip. And there's questions about Cooper Cup. And if he's going to play this game, there, there is a chance they're not completely ruling it out. And the Eagles are missing one of their starting offensive linemen. Cam Jurgens already ruled out for this game. Um, there was some buy on the Rams and we're sitting at four. 
is this going to be a case where maybe we see movement again back to the Eagles, back to the Rams, and, and there, there's a we we haven't found the tension point yet, or do you think there still could be some movement left for the Rams and this thing might come even lower? It's possible. I don't have a strong read on this game. You, you know, like you're, you're dealing with a good offense in the Rams and a bad defense in the Eagles, at least what we've seen so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime you have a you know an underdog of over three in that situation, like the underdog can be very tempting because you have a lot of confidence in them playing well from behind. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I just got done talking about how impressive the Eagles offense was last week. Um, so I think they really are starting to click. Um, so I, I, I really wanted to play the over in this. It was, it was much lower earlier in the week. And then someone hit it like literally seconds before I did. Um, I, I think there'll be points in this game provided Matthew Stafford is healthy. Uh, but as far as the side goes, I could see it going either way. I think, I think it's in the right area. I think it'll close you know, between three and a half and four and a half. Um, I, I don't think we really move out of that range. All right. Let's talk about the Thursday night football game. The, uh, this was another one when I was making my numbers and, uh, I made Washington, a, a big enough favorite. Um, I looked and I'm like, Oh, I gotta be way off here. Am, am I, am I over? Cause I was one of the optimists on Washington. I, I, I wanted a piece of them over six and a half wins. I wanted, uh, and bet them at plus two thirty to finish third in the division based on the dynamic that the top two teams are clearly the top two teams. And I, I didn't think there was much daylight separating them and the giants. Um, so I'm, I was wondering if, if I had a little bit too much optimism in Washington and maybe a little bit too much, you know, skepticism in the bears and opening market number, I was pretty close to where it was. Now Washington got bet some, and it went from six and a half to seven. It's back down to six and a half. Uh, there was some buyback on the bears. Um, Forget the line for a second. Let's talk about the game. How do you expect and see this game playing out? I think Washington's offense should be able to succeed against a weak Bears defense. Um, You know, the Bears just got torched by the Broncos. They got torched by the Chiefs. Granted, the Chiefs are good. Um, Even the Bucs did pretty well against them. Um, And then Green Bay also torched them. So the Bears defense has shown nothing and they've they've also gotten hurt since week one. Like the missing both their starting cornerbacks, maybe three of their starting cornerbacks. All three they got one on the IR. They they're missing two more. The safety Eddie Jackson's hurt. Like the secondary's in shambles. Yeah. So so I understand why why the line would be, you know, so high at home for a Washington team that's really not that good, but they should be able to win on offense. The question I think for for betters is are the Bears gonna be able to stay in the game, right? Because covering six and a half, seven just means you're staying in the game. Doesn't mean you're yes. winning. It means you're, you're not getting blown out. Um, and, and I think we've seen, we've seen four games from the bears. Three were very ugly. And then one where they took a massive lead and then blew the lead and lost by three, which obviously is fine. If you're going to, you know, if you're spread at six and a half or seven, yeah. um, what concerns me about the bears is that because of those four game scripts, they've never been good playing from behind uh, at, le- at least this season right so we've seen in games where they don't have the lead they've played poorly on offense and then in the game where they played well on offense it was like early on you know and sort of with the lead right so so what happens if washington builds a big lead you know do we trust justin fields and this offense to to kind of be explosive enough to come back um i know there's some concerns about washington's linebackers can they keep up with fields you know yeah. fields might have a big field day running the ball here um and i think he'll have to right in order to keep up but but the other thing is both teams like to run the ball um which can slow down the games and reduce the number of drives that are played 
um, again, with a big spread that favors the underdog. So I, I this is another game that I love because there's been price action on both sides. There were some people that were super eager to take uh, the commanders when the spread was lower than six at six. And then there were people that were super eager to jump on the bears when it got to seven. This is the kind of game that I love to see in the market where it's like, okay, you can really form your position and then take it against the other betters. Yeah, there's um there's two dynamics like you know the 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 game of the week right like I remember last year remember the Dallas Minnesota game where there was you know a lot of people wanted to bet that game and they felt very strongly of and I couldn't get myself into an opinion for that game and this is another one like everybody sees an angle that they want to attack the only thing I'm thinking of is a team total perspective here um uh, that I want to buy on and I'm gonna wait a little bit um I I wrote. This is probably Sam Howell's best defense to to play. Like we finally, he's done a pretty good job so far uh, against um, you know tough situations, or you know he's been sacked a ton. This is probably the one defensive line that that will not give them a ton of problems. I think they have two sacks on the year. They're not a very good D line. They don't pressure the quarterback well, and maybe this could be Sam Howell's uh, really big moment. So other than that, um, I, I I find myself hard to get uh, really amped up to make a bet in this game as, as much as other people are. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I like those games where there's a lot of tension, <laughs> yeah. uh, but Thursday night, you know, you got the short week factor. You've got Washington coming off a, very tough overtime loss to a division rival. Like there's all, there's all kinds of angles that people want to play in this game, which, which I love. Yeah. And I got a feeling this will be even the player level stuff. Like if you like, like I could see the fields rushing overs and uh, you know, Terry McLaurin game. This is the Curtis Samuel game. I can see a lot of people getting excited to bet this game. As, even though, even though last week these two teams played and it was like what 17 to nine or something. Maybe it's a psychological thing when we know the game is going to be that bad uh, that we got to bet something on it for entertainment purposes. Um, for myself, it, it'll probably just be enjoying a ugly Thursday night football game. I actually, I don't know if it's in me, um, but I love bad football. Like, I, and some people don't. Can I, I, I think it's like me proving that my love for NFL is so deep that I love it unconditionally, even if it gives me a turd of a game on national TV. Those are, those are the ones where people are tweeting, I need to turn this off. And, you know, like Denver last year in primetime, all those times, I loved every second of it. I, I, those games make me, they reaffirm why I love the NFL so much. Clark, I love doing the show with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, George. Uh, as a reminder, Forward Progress will be back again tomorrow at 2 o'clock with Rob Pozzola, Eric Eager, Suma, and Hitman giving you their best bets and breaking down games from a betting perspective. Drop us a like before you bounce. I want to give an extra special shout-out to the audience in the comments. You guys were fantastic. I love seeing engagement. I love when you guys are having your own conversation. Do more of that, please. Uh, I enjoy the comments. I go back and read them. That's it for me. Thanks to Sharp Clark. Thanks to Producer Jason. Once again, thanks to our great audience and uh, hope you enjoy uh, tomorrow's show. Until next time.